Emily Abend, the creative partner for worship at the local church, and you are listening to the Sunday Sermon Podcast featuring the messages from our Sunday liturgy. The local church is a bold and inclusive faith community based in Chatham County, North Carolina. We gather for worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in person at Woods Charter School in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and online via Facebook Live and YouTube. No matter where you find yourself physically, spiritually, or emotionally, you belong at the local church. And we're so glad you're here. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 and 11b through 32. Now that all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, where he squandered his property in desolate living. When he spent everything, he, everything a served famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So when he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs, he would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, and he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger." I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like I am one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to him and put his arms around him and and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against the heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. And get the fatted cow and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is living again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and he came and approached the house. He heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattest cow because he has got back safe and sound. Then then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all of these years I have been working like a slave for you. And I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you have killed the fattest calf for him. But the father said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we have to celebrate and rejoice because your brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for all God's creation. Thanks be to God. Holy, overwhelming, never 
God of open doors, we often long to come home to you, to come home to love, to come home to ourselves. But we aren't always sure how to get there. We know that we need you, but the road back to you is heavy with distractions. So if we can dare to be so forward, oh God, we pray, reach into the cacophony, cacophony of our hearts, the cacophony of our minds. Make yourself known. Quiet everything but your word for us today. Leave us awestruck. Drown out the distractions. Come as thunder or as a still small voice. We don't care which. We just want you to come. Turn on the light. Speak through these words. Find the parts of us that are lost. With hope we pray. Amen. I don't want to brag, but in second grade, I became the school spelling bee champion at Glen Allen Elementary School in Glen Allen, Virginia. Uh, second grade was the earliest that you could compete, and as a second grader, eight years old, I beat out other second graders and third graders, fourth graders, even fifth graders. I know, you're impressed, right? And, and, and uh, I remember the winning word that sent me to the spelling bee for the whole county. That winning word was physicist. I didn't know what it meant, but I knew how to spell it. Uh, it, it I was kind of a big deal. I don't want to brag. But, um, you know, I was pretty sure that they would rename the school after me. And if not the school, then at least the gymnasium, right? Um, fast forward a year, I'm back in the school spelling bee looking to defend my title, retain my crown. I was, uh, I was feeling good. I was feeling loose. I'd warmed up. I'd been practicing. Uh, and so there in the first round, the moderator says, Brent, your word is separate. Separate. I say confidently separate. S-E-P-E-R-A-T-E. -E -E. Separate. And there's this long, awkward pause before the moderator announces, I'm sorry. That's incorrect. I couldn't believe it. I was shell-shocked, stunned, went back through the letters in my head, wondering where I'd gone wrong. But then before I could make my way off the stage uh, in the gymnasium, something remarkable happened. The moderator stopped and said, hey, you want to try that again? You want to give it another shot? Sure. I looked at her to make sure that she was that she was that this was real. I said, "Yeah, sure." So so I stood back up to the mic, gave it another go. Separate, separate. S e p a r a t e. That is correct, she said. And the audience applauded. I got to stay in. Went on to retain my crown. And if you're sitting there thinking, "What in the world?" That's amazing, I've never heard that happening before. Then you would be exactly right, because that did not happen. <laughs> My parents are at home watching, I'm sure, be like, he's gaslighting them right now. What is true, though, is that I did win the spelling bee in second grade. That part is true. Uh, I did not receive a do-over the following year. Uh, what's also true is that I was knocked out in the first round with the word separate, a year after winning the whole thing. What's also true is that the winner my third grade year was a kid named Elizabeth, who, to add insult to injury, was also in second grade. 
And it's also true that I'm very over it, definitely not bitter, nor have I been holding a grudge for 27 years. Everything's fine. But, uh, but a do-over and a spelling bee would be wild, right? That just doesn't happen. It's not how the world works. We have an order to things here, don't we? We have rules, laws to live by. Like if you, if you overdraft your account, you pay a fee. It's just the way it works. If you miss a buzzer beater that would tie the game, like in the Purdue St. Peter's game the other night, you see that? They just missed it. You don't get a do-over. You don't get to try again. And, and if, you're, if, you, if you're knocked out in the first round of the spelling bee, you're done. You're done. It's just how the world works. Otherwise, it wouldn't be fair. The world would be reckless and chaotic, scandalous. And yet, as Lila read so well, there was a lot of words there, Lila. You did great. As Lila read, yeah. Sometimes that's precisely how it is with God. It's exactly what life is like in God's kingdom, God's reign. But first, as a refresher, we're in the season of Lent. Lent is the 40-day season in the church calendar in which we prepare for the heartbreak and the hope of Holy Week and Easter. By the way, we sent out details for Holy Week yesterday and Easter. If you got it uh, uh, in your email, great. If not, fill out the card. Um, we'd love to stay in touch. Um, but uh, yeah, Lent is sort of a, a spring cleaning for our souls. Gives us a chance to air things out, to clear out the cobwebs, to freshen things up, to discover something beautiful, something abundant, something fresh, something that perhaps has been there all along. I've said each week in this series that when we think about Lent, we often think about giving something up or taking something on. And if that's you, keep going. We are proud of you. We're here to cheer you on. Please let us know how we can encourage you. But what if this year, as hard as the last two years have been, as heavy as the world is right now, what if this year Lent was simply about receiving? About receiving the goodness of God that's already abundant. In other words, what if Lent wasn't about a self-denial or a self-flagellation or beating ourselves up? What if it wasn't about emptying ourselves to nothing? But instead, what if it was about opening ourselves, opening our lives to receive the fullness, to experience the fullness of God that's already there, that God has for us already? That's what their series, Full to the Brim, has been about, an expansive Lent. It's sort of the anti-Lent in that way. Instead of one more thing to do or take on or give up, all this season asks of us is to simply receive the goodness of God that is already so abundant. So let's get into our theme for this week, full to the brim, prodigal grace. Full to the brim, prodigal grace. This week, as you heard, we encounter a family that may have some parallels and intersections with our own. The struggle is real. Next time somebody wants to lecture you about biblical family values, you point out this passage, all right? Jesus shares this parable after tax collectors and sinners have gathered around and the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders have started to grumble about how Jesus welcomes the sinners and eats with them. The horror, right? So he offers this parable, this story about a man with two sons. The younger son comes to his father and says, Dad, give me my share of the inheritance. This would have been the equivalent of, of the younger son essentially saying to his father, you're dead to me. Give me what would be owed to me 
if you were dead. The Father actually does, which is amazing in its own right, remarkable in its own right. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't laugh flippantly and walk away. Instead, he does what the younger son asks. Divides up his property between the two sons, at which point the younger son gathers all that he has and leaves. And while he's away in the far country, he squanders everything he has. That's the definition of prodigal. By the way, if you've ever wondered, what, what does prodigal mean, actually? Prodigal is essentially recklessly extravagant, wasteful, seemingly wasteful. Remember that, recklessly extravagant. And that's how the younger son lives until he's left with nothing. There's a famine. The younger son grows hungry and destitute. He ends up working in the fields, feeding pigs. And that's when, according to Luke, the gospel writer, he comes to himself. He comes to himself. In other words, he comes to his senses. He wakes up. He realizes that it's far worse for him now than those who work for his father. So he resolves to get up and to go to his father and to say, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me in, treat me like one of your hired hands. And that's exactly what he sets off to do, rehearsing these lines, this confession with every step on the way home. But while he's still a long way off, the father sees his son and runs, takes off, absolutely makes a bolt for his youngest son to meet him. And this is remarkable because that just didn't happen in those days. Older men didn't run. That was considered undignified. It just wasn't a thing that happened. But that's the compassion that he feels. That's the love that's bursting out of him, full to the brim. That's the excitement that he can't contain. The father embraces his lost son. And even before the youngest son can finish the confession, can finish the words that he has rehearsed the whole way home. If you notice, he doesn't get to finish before the father calls for a robe and a calf and sandals and a ring and a party because his son has returned home at last. But the elder son, not nearly as excited, He finds out what's going on after hearing music and dancing, and he refuses to join the party. He's like, nope, hard pass, not going to happen. His father comes outside to try to get him to join the party, but the older brother isn't having it. He's like, are you kidding me? You want me to do what? I've been with you here all these years, with you, with you, doing everything you've asked me. I haven't disobeyed. And I don't even get a goat, much less a calf. But this son of yours comes back. Notice, he says, son of yours. Your son, not my brother. Your son comes back. You throw him a party? Is that how this is? And that's when the father responds, son, you're always with me. All that's mine is yours. But we had to celebrate because this brother of yours, note the father's correction there. This brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. So what do we do 
with this story. It's a lot. It's hard. It's real. I wonder who you resonate with most today. Where do you see yourself? Do you feel far from home? Like a younger son? You're carrying a heavy burden. You're wondering what a fresh start with open arms might look like, dreaming that that might be possible. Sometimes the shame, the guilt gets in the way from seeing it fully. In my family, I'm the oldest of three, so I'm right there with the older son. The chip on my shoulder appeared the day my sister was born. (laughs) And when I read this story, I love her, by the way. She's great. When I read this story, I'm incredulous too. That the father didn't even tell the older brother that his younger brother was home. He had to find out when he heard music and dancing, right? Once the party had already started, after the fact. And maybe as you hear this story, you're livid with the older brother at how unfair this all seems. Not only has he done everything right, he's performed well, he's checked all the boxes, he's worked hard, he's never caused the trouble that his brother did. Not only that, but the money that his father is spending on this prodigal party is coming out of the older son's inheritance. That's money that the older brother lays claim to. And so the father's embrace, this extravagant, unquestioning welcome, this celebration, this party, this grace, yeah, it's not fair. It's recklessly extravagant. It's prodigal. In a world with rules and laws and order and the way things should be, where you've got to do your time and pay off your debt and all the things, this prodigal grace doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's lavish, it's illogical, it's unearned, and that's precisely the point. And this grace is offered to all, and it's offered in abundance because not only does the father embrace the younger son who'd run away and made a mess of things. But notice how the story doesn't end inside the party. The story ends outside. Outside the party. With the father standing with his older son. The one with the chip on his shoulder. Inviting him to see with new eyes. To join the party. Grace, too. I'm reminded of the words of one of my professors at Duke, who's now at Yale, the Reverend Dr. Willie Jennings. And uh, he was quoted in the book we read last month for the local book club called Saving Grace and, uh, by Kirsten Powers. And uh, Jennings says this Grace is to live in the possibility of what does not exist. Grace means that you can actually look at the other person, recognizing that there's not only things that you don't like, but there's things that you hate. And still ask yourself, can I be open to the possibility that something can be created where there's nothing right now? Can I be open to the possibility that something can be created where there's nothing right now? 
Maybe you've got someone in mind right now. I know I do. But here's the thing. I hope and pray that somebody has me in mind too. I need that grace just as much. And if it seems impossible, I get it. If it seems unfair, heck yes, I'm with you. (laughs) If it makes you angry, me too. The thing about grace is that we can only offer it, we can only extend it, A, once we've received it ourselves, and B, with God's help, God's power, the power of God at work in our lives. We can't do it on our own. We just can't. We just can't. And sometimes, sometimes the best we can do is to give it to God. Let God deal with it. Let God figure it out. Pray for more. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago about church. And this person was lamenting the state of things, all of the things, church. Declining attendance, overall disengagement, questions about its relevance. Not talking about you at all, just to be clear. And this person made a comment at the end of our conversation that really struck me. It really struck me. This person said, you know, it just, it just feels like the church is incompatible with people's lives right now. It just feels like the church is incompatible with people's lifestyles. They were trying to make the point that, that for many, the church has become a place to consume, to be entertained. And they're just not finding what they're looking for. They can find a better sermon on YouTube, better music on Spotify. The church just doesn't fit their lifestyle, this person said. And the more I thought about grace this week, the more I realized that this person's exactly right, just not in the ways that they might have thought. Because in a lifestyle that's quick to draw lines and build walls, the church says all belong here in the arms of Jesus are wide open. In a lifestyle that says you only get what you earn, the church says God's grace is freely given to all, period. In a lifestyle that says you're on your own, it's you against the world, the church says we're in this together and God is always, always, always standing with you. In a lifestyle hell-bent on division and isolation, the church says, come join the party. Everybody's invited. In a lifestyle marked by scarcity and zero-sum equations, the church says, there's more than enough to go around. It's abundant. And in a lifestyle where there's no such thing as second chances, the church says no one is beyond redemption. No one. It's hard to swallow sometimes. No one. And the invitation, just as it was last week, is to see and to be seen. To see and to be seen with new eyes. With the eyes of Jesus. And sometimes that's just not compatible with the lifestyles that we've built. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. And that's precisely point. That's what makes it grace. That's what makes it good news. And y'all, God is full of it. Full to the brim. 
Hey, it's Leah again. If you love what you hear, share this episode or send it to someone who could use a little good news this week. We'd also love for you to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. For more information about The Local Church, visit thelocalchurchpbo.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Local Church PBO. Until next time, love where you are.